0: Tonight, I'd like for us to look at this question. If the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous to do? That statement is taken from Psalm chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you might want to flip there and look. And and actually in verse 2, the psalmist sets the stage for that question by saying, you know, the wicked bend their bow. And they make ready their arrow on the string. It's like an archer, and he's got the bow drawn back. The arrow is in place. He's ready to fire. And he says, the reason he's doing this is not so that he can hunt, but that he might shoot secretly at the upright heart. So those who are living godly are about to be attacked. And then he asks the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what, what are the righteous to do? That question is no more applicable today than it has ever been. Um, that question we're asking at this hour. There are a lot of things, and I, I dare say that there are a lot of people here tonight that can't believe how far our nation has digressed morally. In the last uh, 50 years, uh, who would have thought we would be where we are at this present time? I think without question, all of us would say that we are on the moral downgrade and and uh, we are slipping and, and we're picking up steam and speed and just bowling over long-held traditions and long-held values and biblical principles that the Lord has put in place from the beginning of time. And we're just running right past those and, and rolling them over as if they're nothing. We have gained such momentum. Things are taking place right now that we never would have dreamed our nation would be involved in. We're supposed to be a godly nation, a a nation built on Christian principles and and that foundation was the Word of God. And, And we have our founding fathers that we quote and their reliance on the Word of God and how that we can't govern a people without bringing God's Word into it and having that objective standard of morality. And yet here we are. You know, this past week, the Supreme Court The United States made a decision uh, to redefine marriage and to impact every state of the union with their new definition of marriage. Never mind that marriage is an institution of God and not man. Never mind that that institution has stood for thousands of years from the beginning of time. Our nation thinks that that's up for redefinition. And that we can uh, change what God has said about that particular moral issue. I, I know that for a lot of people, and, and you know, you, you just, well, get on social media, get on Twitter, get on Facebook, get on whatever, and, and you'll see, man, people are abuzz. And, and I hear desperation. In people, they're just like so put out and so frustrated and, and so, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? I mean, what, what is matter? What's the matter with us? And, and all that desperation is, is being expressed. And I, I want to remind you of a couple things tonight, but first let me just remind you of this. Christianity or the success of Christianity. It doesn't hinge on getting the right political party in power. Christianity, the success of Christianity, doesn't hinge on being situated in a government that that is the right form of government. Christianity can thrive where the wrong party is in power. Christianity can thrive when the wrong form of government rules in the affairs of men. Here's what it takes for Christianity to thrive. It's not the environment in which it is couched or situated. It's in people who claim to be followers of Jesus and their level of commitment to follow him wherever he leads and at whatever cost. If we have people who are determined to follow Jesus no matter what, Christianity will thrive. It doesn't matter what kind of government we have. In fact, I dare say that maybe, and while I don't relish the thought of this, the more opposition government might bring bring to bear against Christianity, it might be the case historically that that's when Christianity thrived more than at other times. You know, when, when you see people sometimes getting a fuss with each other, children getting a fuss and, and they'll like be messing around and then one of them will finally like haul off and hit the other one. And when that other one gets hurt, now game's on. You know, all of a sudden, whoa, we're, we're serious now. And maybe that's the way it is with reference to government and Christianity. When, when it's all in our favor and everything comes easy, we get lazy. We get lackadaisical. We don't have the passion. And then let let some of these truths be taken away from us. Let some of those values be taken away. And now we're ready to, to do battle, which we should have been doing all along anyway. So regardless of what our, our Supreme Court says and does, God's in control. And he doesn't, Christianity is an American. Christianity surpasses all the kingdoms of this world. It's the kingdom of God where we have our allegiance. And so, with that said, let me me give you some thoughts tonight as to what we should do if the foundations be destroyed. And as we look around, our foundations are being destroyed. What are we to do? Well, Let's turn to Acts chapter 4 for an example and the background. I was going to use Acts, or Psalm chapter 11, uh, but a few years ago, I think I used that very text. And uh, so I'm going to use a different text, but talk about the very same thing. But in Acts chapter 4, here's the setting. Peter and John are arrested. The church has just begun, they have had tremendous success, they're growing, there there are multitudes of Christians who are being added to the church daily, and and so things are just, boy, good time for Christianity. And what do we see in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1? As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Uh, and, and then they began to, all right, we, we've arrested Peter and John. Two leading lights in this new movement. They're, they're two apostles, uh, pillars in, in the faith, and they've been arrested. What would you have been... If you were a Christian in that first century, and things are just off the ground, and things are going great, and you've had the success of Pentecost, and there's a great number being multiplied, and, and the apostles are just, you know, with power, proclaiming the message with, with those signs and wonders... And two of those apostles have now been thrown in jail by the government. Just as Saul, or Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 said the government would be upon his shoulders, speaking of Jesus, it is now on the shoulders of the followers of Jesus. Peter and John have been arrested. And for what? Can you imagine the frustration of those first century Christians? Why are they in prison? What have they done wrong? What, I mean, they're doing good. They're helping people. They're proclaiming salvation. They're healing people. Why would our government do that? Why would they be treated in this way? The frustration must have been high. All they're doing is the right thing, and yet they're being mistreated by their government. Here's what the government eventually said to them. Look at verse 17. They said, well, listen... So that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. They've arrested them. They've come up with a plan. And they call Peter and John and say, listen, guys, we're not going to tolerate this. We will not let you speak in the name of Jesus any longer. And and they severely threatened them. You better not. I'm telling you, if we get wind that you've been out preaching this name again, we'll haul you in. We'll whip you. We'll beat you. We'll put you in prison. We'll kill you. I don't know how severely they threatened them or what those threats were, but I know they were severe threats you better stop. And if you don't stop, you're in trouble with us. Wow. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? That was a question that they had to ask. They had to have been asking, wow, what are we going to do now? I mean, they've arrested Peter and John and we got to obey our governments and, and they're going to kill us or put us in prison or beat us if we don't obey them. What, what are we to do next? Well, that's, that's where we are today. What, that, those are the questions that we're asking. What's going to happen to us tomorrow? What battle are we going to be fighting? Are they going to come in and tell us that we have to perform same gender marriages? Are they gonna come in and remove our tax exempt status if we don't? Are they, are they gonna, uh, possess or claim our, our church buildings? Are they, you know, what, what's gonna to happen to Christians? What, are we gonna be allowed to preach? Are we gonna arrest or be arrested if we preach the truth on certain subjects? You see, all those questions right now are being asked by Christians who are concerned about the foundations. If they're destroyed, what are we gonna do? Well, let me share with you what they did. And I think the answer is, it's the same even today. Here's what they did. They, number one, acknowledged the sovereignty of God. Look at chapter 4 and verse 19. Right after they had been hit in the face with this governmental oppression for no good reason at all, They acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you decide. Basically what they're saying is this. Who do you think we should listen to? You or God? We're not going to listen to you. God has more authority than you do. Uh, you tell us to stop speaking. God tells us to speak. Who do you think we're going to listen to, guys? We're, we're going to listen to God. He's sovereign. And, and that is the message that we need to be proclaiming today. Psalm 14, well, exa- excuse me, Psalm 11 and, and verse 4, right? As the psalmist said, you know, if the foundations be destroyed, what, what shall the righteous do? Do you, do you know what he says in the very next verse? Right after he asks that question, he acknowledges this truth. The Lord is in his holy temple. God's still on the throne. God isn't, you know, hasn't vacated. He 's not up wringing his hands and and worry, "Oh no, what am I going to do? Look at what the nation, look at what the government has done to my people. Look, look at what the Supreme Court said yesterday. The Lord is in his holy temple. He 's sitting still on his throne, and we need to listen to him. It's business as usual. There's nothing that has changed we need to acknowledge the the presence and the power of God. In Revelation 20 and verse 4, there, there was that period of time under Roman opposition where uh, the opposition was to the point they were killing Christians. They were beheading them. They were, they were taking them to the Colosseum and, and using them as sport and watching them be torn to pieces by wild animals. That's how bad it was under that government. And yet... Who was victorious? It was Christianity. It was Rome that went by the wayside. It's Christianity that still exists today. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, there's this picture seen. If you were looking on as a bystander in that first century and you watch as Christians are being slaughtered, bloodshed, you would think... Oh, wow, it's hopeless. We're, we're, we have no chance. We're being defeated day after day. But what Revelation does is it takes us behind the scenes and we see the spirits of those who have been beheaded. And you know what the text says? They're reigning with God. They weren't defeated at all, they're reigning. Oh, it looked like they were being defeated, but we see behind the scenes that they're reigning with God. God is sovereign. Man can't thwart his purposes. God reigns. He sits on his throne. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2, the psalmist asks the question, Why do the heathens rage? And and why do the people plot vain things? And why do the governments get together and make these trees and make their plans in opposition to God? The que- that's a good question. Why does stuff like that happen? You can't defeat God. Those nations are like drops in a bucket, according to Daniel, to God. He, he's in control of all of those things. And so for nations around us, for our own nation... To plot and to try to outdo and outmaneuver the will of God, you you can't do it. It's vain. So the first thing that they did when they were oppressed is they say, God's in charge. We're going to follow him rather than man. And that's exactly what we need to be saying today. It doesn't matter what our government does. We're going to follow God. He still sits on his throne. The second thing, look at verse chapter 4, verse 20. He said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And if you also jump down to uh, the end of the chapter, verse 31, or toward the end of the chapter, verse 31, when they had prayed in that place where they were assembled together, the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Here's what they did. We trust God, and we're going to keep speaking. You can't shut us up. You can severely threaten us, but we're still going to speak the truth. And we're going to speak for God, and we're going to do so boldly. We're not going to back down because of potential oppression that you might bring upon us. We're not going to back down because you take away our tax-exempt status or, or you throw someone in prison because they preach the truth. We're going to preach the truth, and we're going to do so with boldness. That's what they did in the first century, and that's what we need to do today. Uh, Acts 5, verse 29, the question is asked, Shall we obey God rather than man? Well, of course not. Matthew 28, that great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. That's Mark 16. But um, go make disciples by baptizing uh, them and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. Matthew chapter 28. The point is we have a mission. We have a gospel to pr- proclaim. Government shouldn't stop us. We shouldn't allow anybody to stop us from doing that. And, and for that matter, the laws of the land don't change our mission one iota. You know, I, I know what happened this past week with our Supreme Court and how they redefined marriage and, and how that, that impacts all the states of our union. But my mission prior to that ruling And your mission prior to that ruling is not one whit different today than it was a week ago. We have the mission to preach the gospel to the world. And we need to do so with boldness. And it doesn't matter what our Supreme Court does. That's our mission that Jesus left us with. And we need to be about that mission. That's what they did in the first century. When the foundations were crumbling around them, they acknowledged The sovereignty of God, and they got about their business. They got to the commission that Jesus had left them with. We need to do the same. Here's a third thing they did. Look at verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because the people, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done these people won, these Christians won the favor of people because of the good that they were doing. And and it protected them in some degree from the government. They would have done worse probably, but they were afraid to because they had won the favor of the people because they were living righteous lives and they were doing righteous things and they were glorifying God in the way they lived. And that's the best thing that we can do today. Don't be known as a hater. Don't be known as someone who is constantly just ragging on people and and just tearing down and, and always has something negative to say. Listen, get involved in living for Jesus Go out there and make a difference in the lives of your neighbors and your coworkers and people you go to school with and with your family. And when people see the good life that you live and the consistency with the message of Jesus and, and the actions of your life, they will glorify God. They won't take kindly to you being oppressed. You'll win the favor of people because you've used your life to glorify God and really, who can be against that? Oh, I know there are some folks that are, but there's a vast majority of people that I believe that still respect and honor well lived lives. And that's what they did. And that helped protect them from the oppression of their government. And I think it can do the same even today. And then let me give you one more thing that they did they prayed. Look at um, Acts chapter four, beginning in verse twenty-four. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God, and with one accord said, "Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them." And they began to pray a prayer, uh, all the way down through, uh, well, close to the rest of the chapter, um, ends in in verse thirty. But but they prayed. The apostles were oppressed. They were thrown in jail. They were threatened severely. They're let out. They say, we're not listening to you. We're going to listen to God. And they proclaim the word of God more boldly. And when they told the, when they got back with the saints, man, all those Christians got together and they started praying. That's what we need to do. We, we need to pray. Do you realize the power of prayer? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I know we say that, but do we believe that? Do do you know the power of intercession? Genesis chapter 18, Abraham could have saved. If just 10 people had been found, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared because God would have heard their intercession. What's it going to take to save our nation? I, I don't know. We sure are picking up momentum, going in an immoral direction. But what if the people of God began to make intercession? And we didn't pray a prayer without mentioning the direction of our government and an and appeal to God to do what he can do through his providence to, to bring about a correction, a change of course. James chapter 4 and verse 2 said, you know, One of the reasons why you don't have some of the things that you'd like to have is because you don't ask. Well, I sure hope that's not the reason we are where we are as a nation, because we haven't been asking God to bless us. We haven't been praying for our leaders. You know, Paul made it pretty plain in First Peter or First Timothy chapter two, uh, to to pray for those who are in power, to pray that we might live a peaceable life. Have we been praying those kind of prayers? There's great power in prayer. So that's what those early Christians did. They were living at a time, well, if we think we have governmental oppression today, we we need to realize it's nothing compared to what other people and other times have had to deal with. But in this first century setting, The government came down on Christians for no good reason. They were jealous. They preached Jesus and they didn't like Jesus. And they threatened them severely. They imprisoned them. And those Christians said, we trust God. We're going to keep on speaking. We're going to keep on doing works that glorify Him. And we're going to pray on behalf of this world and those who are lost. And I think that's the answer. What shall the godly do or what shall the righteous do if the foundations foundations be destroyed? What we read about in Acts 4, what they did. I think we need to be holy. I think we need to be a friend to sinners. I think we need to intercede in prayer and speak the truth in love. And again, I'll say this as we close. The the Supreme Court ruling just this past week, it has no impact on who we are and what we do. Absolutely none. It's just another thing that has been added to a list of many things that God says we shouldn't do and men say it's okay to do. It's just one of another. I don't like it, but my mission before they came to their decision, is identical today. It hasn't changed at all. I have a mission to glorify God in my body and to present the gospel to the lost. And that was what it was last week, and it's still what it is today. What I would say to us is, let's just be about our Father's business Let's do the work that God left us to do. We don't have to have a friendly government. We don't have to have a moral government to be followers of Jesus. Nobody can stop us from following Him. Let's develop commitment. That's what we need. We don't need politics. We don't need a form of government. We need committed followers of Jesus. And with that... We can succeed. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you get on the team, get on the right team? Why don't you become one of his disciples and live for him and, and attain that that home that is given uh, as a free gift, um, not by works of righteousness which you've done, but by God's grace. He'll reward you with. If you've never been baptized into Christ, we encourage you to do that tonight. And if you're a child of God and unfaithful, maybe you haven't been living that distinct holy life and you need to, ask God to forgive you. We'll pray with you and he'll be faithful and just to do just that. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.